0: say, I'm a child of God, a child of the King. Let's continue the worship God of one. Let's turn together to Mark chapter 8, and I will ask you to hold your place on Mark chapter 8. We will be looking today uh, at verses 27 through 30, the sermon I have entitled, Who Do You Say That I Am? Who Do You Say That I Am? I hope that you do have a copy of God's Word today with you, because I'm going to be asking some very important questions, important questions concerning who we are in Jesus Christ and the character and nature of the God that we serve. And so that is the question, as we have already been thinking about this question, who? do you say that I am?" The question becomes multifaceted, it becomes dualistic in its purpose. And as we navigate Scripture, the question inspires us. It it almost demands that we answer the question, who do you say that I am, as to respond to the work of the Savior? And then it urges us to look at our own fallen nature and reminds us very quickly of our inability to follow God in our own power. Okay, I can't chase after the holiness of God in my own strength, and neither can you. This this is the prayer for you and and me this morning. I, I like to write ourselves, all of us, in the same story and narrative. The pastor across the, across the world today who was preaching, I would invite you to write yourself in the story. It's not us and them. It's not you guys do this. It's all of us. And so this is my prayer for all of us this morning. And I hope by the end of the sermon that you can begin to answer this question with, with better biblical accuracy. Who am I? And you will respond in this way, hopefully. If you're here this morning, I hope that as this question... Who am I? You. I hope that you'll be able to answer. I am a child of God that is saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. I have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. I am being worked on in my life every single day as I draw closer to Him by the Holy Spirit. And one day, one day, hopefully very soon, very soon I will walk. I will worship the perfect Jesus for all eternity. And I hope that would be your conclusion this morning. And forever we will proclaim, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. John reminds us in chapter 8 and verse 36, he says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And that's a promise in God's Word that is is two-sided in a way, bitter and sweet. The promise that we find in God's Word that says we will see Jesus and we will be like Him. You notice a scripture that says we will be like Jesus? In fact, it's in the letter of John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, that says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. I don't know what we're going to look like when we're next to Jesus in eternity. But we have scripture that gives us a pretty good idea. It says, we don't know what we're going to be it has, as of yet, but I do know this, that when he appears, we will be like him. Because we will see Him as He is. We will see Him as He is. The Bible says we will be like Him. Now that does not mean that we will be divine like Jesus. It it has no inclination whatsoever that we will be God's small g. No. Rather, we will be like Him in knowing all that we need to know for eternity about our current position in Him. You know, we'll be able to answer the question, why do Bad things happen to good people. We'll be able to answer questions such as, why is there suffering in the world? In fact, I think we'll understand with perfect knowledge those questions. We'll be able to know those. Not that we are divine, but we'll know exactly who we are. And and by the way, you can know exactly who you are in Christ today. We are and we will be forever and ever. We will be a child of the king, a worshiper forever. Aren't you glad of that? I don't know about you, but that is good news. That's exciting news to know. Here's the beauty of it. Here is the absolute beauty of of this. Because I know the Bible is not about me. You know that, right? The Bible isn't about me. The Bible isn't about you. But it certainly does speak to us, doesn't it? The Bible is not about me. And so that puts my mind at ease because I know that all of the work of salvation belongs to the Lord. I got no dog in the fight. Salvation belongs to the Lord as He gives it freely. Here's the, it's the good news that Jesus has, has done the work, and so I do not have to exhaust myself trying to mix in my good works into the equation of salvation, because with Christ, it is finished. The work of salvation is finished. I can't give enough to earn salvation. I can't serve enough. I can't attend church enough. I cannot save myself, I cannot grant myself salvation, so the beauty is my rest is in the full work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad I don't have to work before my salvation because I would have been lost a long time ago. I'm glad I don't have to keep my salvation because I would have lost it a long time ago. So today we're going to wrestle with this question, who do you say that I am? This is the question that the Lord Jesus asks Peter, and he asks it to the reader or worshiper today. That's you and I. That's you and I, those who might be watching a live stream, those who might be in, in the fellowship hall or on radio, that is the question. Who do you say that I am? So if you have your Bibles in front of you, I hope that you do, I hope and pray that you do, I want us to... Hold our place there in Mark chapter 8, and I will ask you, if you will, as the narrative reflects Peter and company, responding to the Lord Jesus, his question concerning the character of who do you say that I am, I'll ask you, if you will, to stand with me in the reading of the Word of the Lord as we look together and as we honor the Scriptures. Let's stand together for the honor honor of the reading of the word of the Lord that says in verse 27, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, he said, who do the people say that I am? When they told him, they said, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked him, he looked at them and said, but who do you say That I am then boisterous Peter spoke up and he said these words you are the Christ and he strictly charged them to tell no one about him Lord we ask that you bless the reading of the word and the reading of the word to our heart and mind I pray you would change us according to your will this morning in Jesus name amen you may be seated So this is a famous exchange between really the disciples and and Jesus. There is really one major point that I want to make throughout the sermon today as we ask the question, who do you say that I am to yourself? Who are you as a child of God and who do you say that Jesus is? There's really one point that I want to stem through all of this. And that is Jesus calls his people, you and I, he calls his people to know him more, to know him more. So far we have seen the Lord Jesus and his disciples, they have encountered some opposition from the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and and as we travel through we'll see the Sanhedrin peek their head in as well. The Lord reminds his disciples of very important and relevant facts, not only for them, but for us today. He said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware of their sin. Watch out for their hypocrisy. Watch out for their false teaching. Watch out for their political entanglement of corruption. Watch out for their gross interpretation of the law. In short, beware of the lifestyle of sin. Get away from that thing that will distort your image of the one true God. Get away from those things that will infect your heart and mind, that will move you away from Jesus and towards idolatry. Move away of the, from those lifestyles of sin. And that's an appropriate and relevant warning for us today, too. They press on through and they end up at Bethsaida and there's a blind man there and Jesus heals the blind man. He takes him outside of the camp and he spits on his eyes and touches his eyes and he begins to, and begins to, to see at Bethsaida. He moves towards a region which is about 25 miles east of the Sea of Galilee, the region that you and I are encamped in today in the scripture. You and I are encamped there Right now, and this is the region that is Caesarea Philippi. And so, the question concerning today is found in the verse that we read earlier. So, let me read it again, verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way, walking along, he asked his disciples, But well, who do the people say that I am? And here they are, find themselves encamped in this beautiful, lush, place near the foot of Mount Hermon, thinking through one of the most important questions that has ever been asked to them. And by the way, this is one of the most important questions that has ever been asked to you as well. One of the greatest questions that has ever been asked to you as well. Sometime in your life, you've had to answer that question As who the person of Jesus is. One of the most important questions asked to me, who do you say that Jesus is? The second question would be, do you take Tracy to be your, yeah. Important questions in life. One of the most important questions that had ever been asked. Who do you say that I am? Who do the people say that I am? So they're banked here on the uh, what would be considered now, this is modern day Caesarea Philippi, or some would say this is, this is what it would have looked like, lush, uh, a stream system running through, and here they are, camped out in one of the most beautiful places that I would imagine that they have encamped in, asked one of the most important questions that they have ever had to contemplate. Not only will they have to answer, who do the people say that I am, who do the people who do you say that I am as well? It's one of the most important questions that have ever been asked of them. And this is what a maker of disciples does. This is the true vision of a discipler. You know, Jesus, Jesus set the mold for making disciples. Jesus is the prime example for making disciples and this is what disciples do he or she asks a question an important question that helps one grow in their faith helps them grow as they journey with the Lord and this journey has been one of Jesus making disciples and the question that Jesus asked is one that is asked even today this account in Caesarea Philippi is also recorded in the gospel according to luke and also in matthew a very important exchange who do the people say that i am it is the most important question asked to civilization today and to you today as the worshiper see jesus here's the beautiful thing about it jesus already knows the answer he knows what the people have been saying but this is how a master rabbi teacher would lead the congregation and how they would teach. Jesus would, in some seminaries today, Jesus would be considered to be that guy who already knows the question, but Jesus had no condescending attitude about him. He had no uh, above you kind. He was humble in asking the question, a true picture of a discipler. He taught this way to bring out their faith and to demonstrate at what point Do they become a teachable palate? What point in your life, what point has God worked on you enough to where you become a teachable palate? Teachable before the master. When does the proverbial light bulb go off? When does it go off and shine? When has it shone in your life? So listen to their responses. Here's how they respond. And he told them, he said, well, some say John the Baptist and others say Elijah and others one of the prophets. Now, the people would no doubt be those in Israel. The people said this. But there are for a very few group, Greeks or Romans who would even have, he, they would not have cared for a messianic prediction. They would not have cared for Elijah. They would not have cared much for the prophets. So we know that, that the response from the people is mostly of Hebrew of hebrew lineage and origin it just goes to show us there are many misconceptions about the person of jesus so the opinion of herod was that this could be john the baptist come back to life okay this could be john the baptist he come back he's resurrected the hebrews were looking for elijah as a forerunner before the coming of the messiah in fact they were looking for an, an elijah type or the prophet that would mark the beginning of the coming of Messiah. Others say that he would be one of the prophets returning. So the, in in that there's a mixture of superstition with prediction. They were looking for prophets to return, and as we know, all of these precepts of of Jesus, all these understandings and and uh, and, and looking for Jesus, all all of these perceptions of him, they were they were they were wrong and distorted. But, but in examination of the modern day that we live, only, only the faces and philosophy and ethics change. That's it. Only the faces and the names change and the philosophies and, and, and ethics change in the world that we live in that tries to explain or explain away the person of Jesus. Jesus is, it remains true, but philosophies around who he is, And explanations of who he is has changed over time. April the 1st, April Fool's Day, 2015. The Barna Research Company, Barna, Barna Group conducted a survey and they asked this question. In fact, it surrounded this question, what do Americans believe about Jesus? What do Americans believe about Jesus? And these were five popular beliefs that they found in the survey. Five popular, uh, five popular beliefs. Now, the one that conducted uh, this particular survey was David Kinnaman. He's, he's head of Barna Group, and, and we'll hear from him a little, a little later. But as he conducted this group, and as he asked this question, what do Americans believe about Jesus? Jesus, the people had an opinion of Jesus as we read in Caesarea and as we read about in all of Jerusalem, so people have an opinion of who Jesus is today. Some of them are distorted, some of them are spot on, some of them gives us the inclination that the church has failed historically. So the issue with today is you and I have no excuse. In America, a person can at any time have access to any number of resources and information that we can study about the person and character of Jesus. We have no excuse. I don't want to stand before the Lord and He say, I gave you all these resources and you did not know me. So, in America, a person can know the truth Now here is what Barna Group found. What do Americans believe about Jesus? Number one, they found that the vast majority of Americans believe that Jesus actually existed. Duh. It's like one of those duh moments, right? The vast majority of Americans believe that Jesus was a real person. And here's why this finding is so extraordinary, because for a while there, it became popular for the quote-unquote experts to say that Jesus never existed. But the reality is much more potent. Doing a little digging, doing a little research, reputable, reputable research, no reputable, reputable scholar would ever say that Jesus never existed. In fact... of Americans believe that Jesus existed. The other eight would be what we would call today armchair scholars. And here is the issue. If 92% of Americans believe that Jesus existed, then the logical conclusion, if you follow the evidence, is that Jesus went to the cross, that Jesus died a sinner's death, that he rose from the dead on the third day, and that he is not in the tomb. The tomb is empty, and he has rose again, and thus we must fall and submit to the kingship and lordship of Christ. 92% of America believe he existed, but it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. Question number two, or response number two, was this. Younger generations are increasingly less to believe that Jesus was God amongst the younger generations it's growing more that the younger generations are less likely to believe that Jesus was divine or God and I've got to say for Western culture for the Western mind in America this is a sad pitiful and pathetic commentary on American churches today. This tells us that you and I need to get back to teaching our children the doctrines of our faith. Now, I know that this is talking about Americans in general, but no doubt in that 92 percentile of people, there are sprinkled within some people who claim to be children of Christ. It tells us we need to get back to the basics of teaching our children the doctrines of our faith and quit trying to tickle their ears and push programs in front of them, giving them fun things to do. Yes, they can have fun. Yes, we can have fun. But they need to have have a good diet of biblical intake. Listen, if mom and dad love God's Word, If mom and dad are excited about serving Jesus, guess what? The children will be too. I believe this is a sad commentary on American churches today. As we are failing at disciplining our children. So response number three, let's move on. Americans are divided on whether Jesus was sinless. Whether Jesus was sinless. Uh, This is actually divided. Divided is the appropriate word. Listen to this statistic. 52% of Americans believe that Jesus sinned. 46% disagree that Jesus sinned. Now I would imagine, here's the scary part about this. I would imagine in that 52 percentile side of the equation that there are some people that say that they are Christ followers who believe on Jesus. In that 52 percent, no, I have seen statistics on that, and there are folks who claim to be Christians who think and believe that Jesus sinned. How could our Lord have sinned and been? And have been appropriate for the cross? How could he have been an appropriate substitute? 52% believe that Jesus had sinned. And if that is your position this morning, and you say, hey, I believe in Jesus, but I believe he sinned, I, I got a suggestion for you. Maybe you need to repent. Now, I don't know if you are saved or not, that's not for me to say, but maybe it just might be as simple as hearing that, the gospel, submitting to Christ, and being born again. Not only is, not only is that un, untrue, to, to say that Jesus' sin is, is a fallacy, but it is also anti-Christ at the core. It is anti-Christ. May I remind you that the Bible is clear on, to the, on the divinity and the holiness and righteousness of our Lord. In fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, very well-known verse that says, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin. So if you've got a Bible, underline that. Who knew no sin. The Bible said there was no, no guile, no deceit in his mouth. Underline that so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We cannot become the righteousness of God if Jesus was a sinner. Response number four. Americans say that they have made a commitment to Jesus Christ. Most Americans say, hey, I have made a commitment to Jesus. And really, that doesn't line up with 52% of people in America saying that he sinned. The stat that reflects this question it doesn't logically add up, and that just goes to tell me even in answering surveys and questions that we that we we're distorted. We don't know. We're distorted in our responses. We're distorted in how we think about the person of Jesus. God, thank you for the Holy Spirit that gives us illumination. It doesn't make. It doesn't logically add up. It doesn't line up. And the way that people respond to this, if you believe that Jesus sinned, you're not committed to Him. Rather, here's here's what you're committed to. And I'm afraid that many folks across the land today in American churches are guilty of this. You have committed not to a biblical Jesus but to an image of Jesus that you have crafted in your own mind based upon your own sympathies and not on Scripture. People have crafted in their mind of Jesus that doesn't judge but loves all people. Read Scripture. Jesus judges. May I remind you what Jesus did in the temple? What did he do? He turned the tables over on the money changers. Fast forward to the eschaton, the coming of, of of our Lord, who is who is judging the nations, who is judging, who is judging the wicked, who is judging the righteous. It is none other than the Lord, than the Lord Jesus. We have been guilty of crafting a Jesus that has no spine, no authority. We have crafted a Jesus in our own mind based upon our own sympathies and not on God's Word. The findings of this are six out of ten people say committed, they are committed to, to, to Christ, but it doesn't line up with the rest of the survey. The findings from Barna also include this last response, that people are conflicted between Jesus and good deeds as the way to heaven. And I've got to say that this has been a conflict since Jesus died and rose again. People have been fighting with this dichotomy their whole lives. Works and salvation as a way to heaven. Out of this question, there is only, there are 63% of people that say, here's what they say. That they will go to heaven because Christ is their Savior. And I'm beginning to wonder now, as I read this, what their definition of Christ is. Well, was he sinless? Would you say he had sin in his life? And if that's the case, how are you going to go to heaven based on a person who was a sinner that went to the cross? David Kinnaman, who conducted this research, he's the one that directed this national study, and he says this. He says, and I quote, There isn't much argument about whether Jesus Christ actually was a historical person. 92% say Jesus existed. But nearly everything else about his life generates enormous and sometimes rancorous debate. Listen, you don't think it's important to learn who Jesus is? People are still navigating through this question. And sometimes they need people to help them navigate. That's you and me. That's the people that the Lord has called to be on mission. That's that's the people that the Lord called to be disciple makers and disciple people. And they're still navigating through this question. Who do the the people say that I am? And without the scriptures rightly divided, without thinking rightly, we're going to see a Savior that is distorted. We're going to see a Savior that we have crafted in our own mind, in our own fashion. And, and I've got to say, that version of Jesus is an idol. Maybe for you this morning, you know who Jesus is. You know the truth of His character and His nature. I'll invite you to share, Disciple. Listen, Jesus calls us to know more of Him. I've come to an understanding recently, and recently, what I mean recently is in the past 10, 15 years. To me, that would be recently, since it seemed like the years here lately have, have kind of been a blur, even not very old, but still, 15 years. I've come to an, a conclusion over the, let's just say, the past, the past few years. And here's, here's what I've come to realize, that the closer that I get to knowing the character of God. The more that I know about myself. and The more that I know about myself. Scares me. The more that I see my own sinfulness. And my brokenness. The more I began to see. Those little places in my life. That some would call. The dark corners of your life. The more I began to see. These places in my life. The more I see my own sinfulness. When you are next to the righteousness of the righteous one, you quickly realize who you are. So here's the question. Who do you say I am? It forces us to say, who am I? Who am I? Jesus calls us to know him more intimately. Listen, where where Jesus, I want you to listen to where he takes this question. After he was told that the people, well, the people would say of him, here's the, here's the, next, here's the next question in verse 29 and 30. He asked him, he said, well, who, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered in this way. He said, you're the Christ. And then Jesus told them strictly to, to not go and tell anyone. Don't tell anyone about him. Let me address that first. First, there was a misconception about the Messiah. Okay, The people wanted a political conqueror Conquering Messiah. So there's misconceptions about that. And so he says don't tell anyone. Uh, secondly, there is this time frame. In which the Lord Jesus will be revealed. And it is not yet that time. So shh. Don't tell anyone. People say these things about Jesus. But what says you? I'll invite you. I'll ask you to do it. Next time you have an opportunity. And you sit down. For some quiet time. You, or you sat down with a friend or a loved one. I'll invite you. You sat down with somebody who's been discipling you or you, them. What do you say of Jesus? What do you say of him? And begin to unpack that. Begin to unpack the character and nature of Jesus. In fact, I want you to, I want you to see how the, the evangelist Matthew adds to what Mark has, has uh, written here. In fact, Mark is actually adding to Matthew, but let's uh, let's read this. Matthew 16, 17. Jesus asked him, or he answered to to Peter. He said, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, the Spirit of God, the Lord had revealed this to Peter. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in verse 18, he says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, by the way, that is not Peter, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. What is the rock? And what are the keys? The key to sustaining the kingdom of God, the secret to standing strong against the enemy, is to know and proclaim that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the rock that the church is built on. That is the keys to the kingdom, so to speak, to know the King who is also King and Lord over the church. And then proclaim that Christ is the son of the living God. That is what is going to sustain his kingdom. That is what is going to sustain you and me through trials and tribulations and hardships. It is this understanding of Jesus that will sustain his church and a church that is not built on the right understanding of of Christ will not sustain. The episode today forces us to explore afresh the nature and the character of Christ and ourselves as we draw near to His holiness and as we quickly understand our unworthiness. When Jesus asked this question, Who do you say that I am? It it moves us to explore His goodness. It moves us to explore not only His goodness, but then our brokenness. Where do you stand today? Do you know how to answer correctly in response to the question, who do you say that Jesus is? What do you say of Him? Can you say that I know Christ, the Son of the living God, personally? Can you say that my sins have been forgiven and I am a child of Christ and I forever will be? Wherever you are today, I want you to know that the heart of the Lord is for you to know him more. There's nothing more pleasing to your God than to know that we are pursuing him and we want to know more of him. I want you to know that the burden of this pastor that stands before you today is for you to know him more. So, what is your burden? What is your burden? Everyone has a burden. Are you burdened that you are not drawing close to Christ as you should? Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And How do you answer that? In just a moment, we're going to sing with just our voices again, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. John Newton, the writer of that song, Amazing Grace, he also wrote these words, and I'm going to close with these, and we'll sing sing this song together. John, John Newton said, to know Jesus is the shortest description of true grace. To know him better is the surest mark of growth in grace. To know him perfectly is eternal life. He wants you to know him more. Pursue him as he has pursued you. Let's pray together.